The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John 2, 13-22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I have to start by saying I realize the drums were a little pronounced this morning. Now, part of that happens because I'm trying to mix it afterwards, uh, and I thought I could do it without headphones or extra speakers, and it's a little different when you bring it in here. I also should confess that maybe I have an extra affinity for the drummer in that. Not that I don't love our drummer all the time. I do. I love our drummer all the time, uh, but maybe a special connection to uh, our drummer this past week. Um, and for those of you that don't know, or those that are online, that's my son. So uh, thanks, Jameson, for filling in this week. Well, this uh, scripture, um, again, is maybe one that is familiar to, to many of us. Uh, we, we've heard it. Um, it's kind of a, one of the unique stories in the Gospels because it is one of the few stories outside of um, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that actually appears in all four Gospels. It's the story of Jesus coming to the temple during the time of preparation for the Jewish festival of Passover. And especially as, as John presents the story um, and, and talks in his Gospel, Jesus' death reflects much of the theological emphasis uh, of Passover in that the blood of the lamb being shed and spread on the doorpost so that those people who are covered or marked by the blood of the lamb will not be destroyed. This is a theme that is woven throughout John's telling of the gospel story. Like I said, this story is, is seen in all four gospels. Mark, Matthew, and Luke actually place this story at the end of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry, and it is one of the final straws that gets Jesus arrested and, and condemned and crucified. John prefers to share the story at the beginning of Jesus' ministry to kind of weave in the themes that, that are part of this story into the rest of John's telling of the gospel. And so as we look at maybe what is a familiar passage, and we turn that diamond again, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing to you. Would you speak through me or despite me this morning? 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem and, and comes to the, the temple complex as uh, the Jewish pilgrims are coming from around the ancient world for this very special, very central festival of the Jewish faith. This is the Hebrew people remembering that God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And Jewish pilgrims would come from all over the world to celebrate this festival. And it was often a time of heightened tension in Jerusalem. As Jewish people gathered to celebrate their freedom from slavery from an oppressive empire in uh, Egypt. And yet as they gathered at the time of Jesus, they found themselves under another oppressive empire in Rome. And so this often caused heightened tension. It's hard to come and celebrate freedom, celebrate uh, deliverance when you are still being oppressed. So it's no wonder that uh, Roman officials often uh, brought in extra soldiers at, at these times. Um, later in, in John's gospel, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem again at Passover, there's plenty of soldiers around to quell any potential uprisings that, that often got sparked during this time. In our passage at the very beginning, uh, the author says that Passover of the Jews was near. The gospel according to John is probably the last account to be written. The last couple of Sundays we've looked at Mark, which is, one of the which is probably the first gospel account to get written down. John is probably the last. And it reflects the writing of a community of Jesus followers who have been kicked out or, or distanced from the temple system. It probably reflects the, the writing or thoughts or community of a grafted-in, non-Jewish family of faith. And so one of the ways of the, the author telling us that or, or indicating that is by indicating that this is the Passover of the Jews. It's something foreign to this group. The writer is telling us that he and his community are outsiders to this system. Well, Jesus goes to the temple complex. And, and you know, oftentimes I think when, when we hear the temple, we think of the immediate building in which there's the, the Holy of Holies. But the temple complex was this huge um, facility uh, of all kinds of different buildings and, and housing places. And, and ancient temples were often centra centers uh, of banking in the ancient world. And it had marketplaces. And it was a huge complex uh, of, of space. And so these pilgrims would come to Jerusalem and because they had traveled such a long way and when they came for Passover, there were certain sacrifices that needed to be offered to, to keep in, in line with, with the Old Testament law. There were sacrifices required. And because they were traveling as pilgrims and some might be on the road for weeks or they might have sailed to Jerusalem and then, and then walked to Jerusalem, they often couldn't bring their animal sacrifices with them. And so this marketplace that Jesus enters in the temple complex 
was set up to help facilitate the, the proper worship and sacrifice of these pilgrims who had traveled quite a distance to come. The temple also was a place of exchanging money. There was a, a temple tax that needed to be paid, and it needed to be paid in a certain currency. It was often a, a half shekel. And um, the Jewish people didn't want to use the Roman or Greek currency that often had the picture of the emperor or a, a Roman or Greek god or goddess imprinted on that money. And so it was a sign of idolatry to, to use this within the, the temple system. And so there were money changers there who would exchange that currency for a temple-approved coin. Different gospel accounts highlight different aspects or facets of this marketplace experience. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus refers to this place as a den of robbers. He's, he's highlighting the corruption that was often a part of this system. And so when they came to exchange money, there was often some kind of corruption that happened in the exchange rate of, of these currencies or in the animals that somehow managed to be temple approved but maybe left a little to be desired. In Mark, Jesus also calls this place or speaks the line that his house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. This marketplace that was set up was set up in, a, in an area that was called the Court of the Gentiles. It was a place that was reserved and meant for those God-fearing Greeks, uh, those that were non-Jewish people but recognized Yahweh as God. It was an area that was supposed to be reserved for them to come and pray and worship. And yet what was happening here, it was a marketplace. And so this place of worship was taken up. It was, it was flooded and invaded by all of these other things. And so those non-Jews that came had a hard time finding space to come and worship. By having the marketplace set up in this court of the Gentiles, it was taking up space set aside for all the nations to be able to come and worship. And so this marketplace was in the way of some folks coming and worshiping. In order to maintain the proper Jewish rituals and to do the right sacrifice and go through the right routines, some people were being kept out of worship. Outsiders really weren't invited in. Now, rituals are not all bad. They have their place in, in reminding us of deeper spiritual truths. And over the last year, as a lot of our, our rituals and routines and, and things that we're used to have been disrupted, in some ways that's helped us to have um, a better picture or appreciate those rituals and those reminders in new ways. We recognize their real significance in our lives. But maybe we're also realizing that in some ways, our rituals or our way we've always done it might get in the way of others coming and finding God. 
So maybe we clutter up our own court of the Gentiles so that we, those of us that are in, those of us that are a part of this community of faith, we feel good. We feel welcome. But maybe we don't allow space for others to come in and worship. And I'm not just talking about physical space, although, you know, we could probably include our physical space of gathering and worship in that as well. But I wonder, do we have such a tight grip on doing things the way we've always been done? Doing programs and ministry, reaching into the community have to look like they always have? Or do we recognize that in some way, Over this last year, Jesus has cleared our temple to allow for real worship and real ministry to take place. That even the outsiders, those that aren't naturally a part of this community of faith, are welcomed in or have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus. John highlights something uh, slightly different in the way he tells the story. John's account doesn't actually uh, necessarily call into question the corruption of the system. And as Jesus engages in this uh, act of prophetic theater, where he intentionally forms the whip and he intentionally drives out the sacrificial animals and he intentionally overturns the table, spilling the coins out everywhere. Jesus' actions effectively shut down worship for the day. Even Jesus shut down worship on occasion. Instead, Jesus begins to replace the temple with himself. And as non-Jews, I don't think we fully grasp how powerful a statement this is. Because we say, well, okay, the, the temple's not the, the center of, of God's presence anymore. What's, what's the big deal? But this was the center of the Jewish universe. They traveled to to Jerusalem at at Passover because this is where God resided. This is where God lived and we want to go and we want to be close to God. Pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem because it was where Yahweh resided. And yet in John's account, John's, uh, the, the gospel of John opens with these words, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then later John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so Jesus, by replacing the temple with himself, is saying that God's presence is no longer confined to the Holy of Holies. But God's presence is among you, is moving in your midst, is relating to you. So when Jesus overturns all the tables and drives out the animals and and all of this, the authorities come, they demand to know under whose authority Jesus is doing this. 
And John's community, when they look back at the story, when they remember it afterwards, they remember the words from Psalm 69, 9, which says, zeal for your house will consume me. And Jesus says, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And we're told, John makes it very clear, that Jesus is not talking about the building of the, the temple, uh, the, the physical structure, which had taken 40-some years to construct that building. And so the Jewish people are obviously wondering, you know, it's taken you know, decades, it's taken a, a generation to build this building. How can you knock it down and build it again in three days? And Jesus is saying, hold on a second. I'm not talking about the physical building. Jesus is taking the place of the temple. In John's story, a couple chapters later, Jesus is meeting with this Samaritan woman, a non-Jew, who, you know, we've looked at this story other times, but he has no business in their world talking to this woman. And, and he's addressing some some things in her own life. He's aware that, that she's kind of making her way around the men in the community, and he calls her out on it, and naturally she wants to, to change, uh, change the topic of conversation. And, and so she brings up worship, and she wants to know where's the proper place to worship, on Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans worshiped, or on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, where the Jews worshiped. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter Where? The worshipers of God will come in worship, in spirit, and in truth because the temple is Jesus. Because the presence of God has moved out, is moving in the world, is embodied in Jesus, and now the presence of God is no longer transactional. It means you, don't, you no longer have to do the right things, say all the right things, uh, get the right sacrifice to have relationship with God. But in Jesus, it is relational. So I wonder if God is using this time to clear out the temple marketplace. Our normal has been so disrupted. Our worship, our rituals, our programs brought to a halt. And while they've been brought to a halt, I think it would be important for us to stop and ask, who have been the people kept on the outside looking in while we make ourselves feel comfortable in the inner circle of the, the temple courts? Or maybe we ask ourselves, what Gentiles, what others, what outsiders are longing to have an experience of Jesus but our own exchange of rituals has kept them away. So what do we learn in this overturning of, of the temple? Well, Jesus disrupted the worship, and he disrupted the exchange of, of money. He, he disrupted that for a day. But I'm sure that, that you know, after this immediate ruckus and everything somebody had to go find the animals somebody had to herd them back to the temple courts somebody had to pick up the money 
and the next day they went back to business as usual. And they missed what Jesus had done. They missed the point. They went back to their rituals. Totally missing out on God's presence in their midst. They were committed to a transactional relationship with God. If I do the right things, if I show up at the right time, if I pray the right prayers, God will bless me. But Jesus has moved out. Jesus has moved into their midst. And Jesus is doing something new. The other last weekend, um, our, our church board and, and church staff participated in a uh, virtual Future of the Church Summit. And it was, it was very interesting. Several speakers confronted us, confronted the the church that was present at this, confronted us with the aftermath of the pandemics and, and the social unrest of the last year, confronted us with a mental health crisis that is already underway and will certainly continue. One of the speakers said, this scarring will last. Confronted us with the possibility of disruption being a new norm in our society. Confronting us with the reality of inequality on a number of levels in society. And if you would like a first-hand example, then I encourage you to come out on a, a Monday or a Wednesday to the, the Coco Packs food distribution and to see all of the folks that are coming through this parking lot twice a week to pick up food. When you see how much food is handed out and the number of cars through this parking lot, you're confronted with that inequality. But this session, this summit was not all doom and gloom, but also provided a vision for where God might be calling the church into new ministry and healing in the world. To equip folks for mission and discipleship in their own homes to recover the, the need to be relationally with people when that time finally comes. And opportunities to communicate the good news of Jesus to people in a, in a whole new way through, through digital media. But I have to say that some of this takes place outside of this temple. It doesn't all happen within this building. See, part of the good news that is revealed in this story, one of the, the facets of that gospel diamond is that God's presence has gone out from the walls of the temple. There is a new temple. There is a, a new focus of God's relational presence in Christ. Another facet of the good news is that Jesus was clearing space for outsiders to come and worship. And you and I can relate to this story in a very real way because I don't know all of your stories, but I was not born a Jew. 
I was not born into that line, into that, that heritage, and praise God, I have been grafted into the people of God. And so we were once outsiders and we have been welcomed in. But I also have to see how I, me personally, am also part of a, the system that can also have a part in maintaining the status quo in this temple. So I wonder, do we maintain the status quo so we feel comfortable with those already in? Or do we clear space and time for the new things that God is doing? I think I find myself in that position of the, the money changers and, and the marketplace after, every, after Jesus has just disrupted everything. And we have a choice to pick up the money, herd the animals in, and go back to the way we've always done it, or to see the new thing that Jesus is doing. Would you remain standing for the, the sending? And these words are based on uh, the passage from 1 Corinthians that Paul read earlier about us being fools for Christ. They are right. Those who doubt what we do it is purely the product of an overactive imagination. Who but the foolish would look at barren ground and imagine food for all? See past desolation and believe it will become an oasis. Would not be stopped by war, but live for the day it will be peace. And reach deep into the world's fear in the prayer it would bring life. So if faith is the terrain of the deluded, then may you leave here with the faith of the fools who have loved the world since its beginning and will live for its redemption until its end. Go in peace.